What I like about recording these episodes with you, Rachel, is that I've just spent a fair amount of time making sure that my ridiculously long hair looks okay, only to remember it's audio, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) I mean, that's never really a problem for me because I bung a headscarf on and we're done. That's it. Maybe I should invest in a shaitel instead. I actually wore a shaitel this week in what was one of my two most Jewish moments. Two most Jewish moments. That in itself is the most Jewish thing. Uh, we've, got, we've got your first night Jewish moment and your second night Jewish moment. So let's start with your first. I actually got to film a scene for Gary Senior, previous guest on the show, TM, uh, for his sitcom Hapless, Series 2's coming up. And I was cast in the shocking, so distant from my real life and experience role of Rabbi's Wife. Wow, very good. That I think is what they call N-A-R, no acting required. <laughs> it was really fun. Like I've never been on a proper TV type film set before. And my husband, with whom I had no scenes at all, was a brilliant actor called Michael Siegel, who comes from a comedy background. So we mainly spent a lot of time sitting around drinking tea and talking about comedy. And occasionally one of us was called to go and be Jewish for a few minutes in front of the camera. Well, I look forward to seeing the episode when it comes out. What was your second most Jewish thing of the week? It was that I had a short film commissioned by Elysium Theatre Company for their project called the COVID-19 Monologues. They asked different writers from around the country to put together a kind of approximately 20 minute monologue about something connected to the experience of the pandemic. And they asked me to create one which had a Jewish theme. And I was quite excited about it because there wasn't like a boundary around what that meant, like it could be anything. So I tried to think what was the most kind of pivotal moment for me during the pandemic, particularly during lockdown. And I realised it was preparing for the second Seder, like last March, when we were realising that it'd been a year of lockdowns and restrictions and whatever. And the first Seder in lockdown, I kind of felt, oh, it's a bit of a novelty. It'll all be over by Christmas. It all felt like it was very temporary. And the idea of the second one, like doing that all over again, I found really hard. So I wrote a, a kind of funny, sad monologue about it which was just released this week we'll put a link to it in the show notes and I'm quite proud of it it's called Passover Me. I've seen it it's very good a couple of things I want to pick up on just for our audience at home I will clarify that when you're saying second Seder and it's not often I get to clarify <laughs> religious things mm-hmm. when you're talking second Seder you mean the second Passover as in yes. the second year of lockdown not the second Seder which obviously comes the night after the first yeah. Seder. The second set of Seder nights during lockdown. I think last year we talked about my theory that Passover would be perfect if what we could do is have one Seder at the beginning and one at the end you know so you had like time to get a bit more sleep and get excited about the second one but this was just yeah it's really exciting I've not written for screen before like I've not performed on screen before and yeah it was amazing and Elysium Theatre did a phenomenal job uh, directing and filming it so I hope people are enjoying it thank you for your kind words you're very uh, welcome for my kind words. I mean, you wrote them, I said them. Um, <laughs> As if. I, I'm not that I, good a writer, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> I was also amused when you said we didn't know if it would be over before Christmas, because there are definitely times at the Seder when I'm sitting there going, I hope this is over before Christmas. <laughs> Actually, my most Jewish thing of the week is also related to Passover, because I went to my children's school this week to have what they call a model Seder. What that means is it's like a fake Seder that you just do for the kids. They do it in schools and Sunday schools and things like that. It was really nice because actually it was the first time we were back in the school as real people. And it wasn't 
done remotely or anything like that. So it was really quite lovely to be there. I got to sit with my kids on their table and join in with them. And they sang, well, sort of sang the songs. They sang Manish Tana when I wasn't looking. So mm. they will do it, but just don't look at them. We did the wine. We did the various bits of eating. It was really, really lovely. And that was something that I didn't think I'd ever really enjoy doing as an experience. I'm not that fussed about the Seder generally. It's a nice family event, but... It was so nice to be able to go to my kids' school and see them take part in it and get excited about it. The only thing that struck me was we used to do those when we were kids, when we were at Haida, you know, Sunday school, religion school. But I'm sure we called them mock seders. I think it varied between the mock seder and the model seder. I see. I'd never heard of it as a model seder until now. And it just made me wonder if there's some kind of PC brigade who's wandering around going, you can't say mock. No, no, no. You can't say mock. You can't have a mock seder. You can't have mock turtle soup. So I was intrigued by that, but it was a lot of fun. It was a nice way to spend a morning at my kids' school. Yeah, and I, I know they were excited to do it, which is nice. I mean, you've got kids quite close together in age, and I've got kids yeah. very far apart in age, and that meant that I spent about 100 years going year after year after year to model seders. And I can tell you that although they are very sweet, I was quite happy when we reached secondary school age and I didn't have to go to any more. Yes, I think I might have been caught up in the emotion of we've not been able to go to live events at the kids' schools for a couple of years. So this was just a really nice way to kind of get back into it. I was thinking that we don't record the week of the show. We record in advance. We record a group of episodes and then we put them out accordingly. And I often find that for some reason, an episode we've chosen has got something immensely relevant to when it comes out and also relating to whatever we talked about the week before. And this week with Raymond Simonson and Denise Phillips, there was quite a bit of talk about matzah. And uh, you're going to have to listen out for it because like the Afrikoman, we've hidden it. Enjoy the episode. <laughs> Hello, I'm Philip Simon. And I'm Rachel Krieger. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Orthodox, so every year at the Passover Seder, I ask the four questions. And I'm Reform, so every year at the Passover Seder, I ask, what time do we eat? This show is the audio equivalent of Palwyn's Wine. It's sweet, it's traditional, and your grandma loves it. In each episode, we chat to two of our favourite Jews about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. Are they a loaf of bread? Or matzah instead. Welcome to Jew Talking to Me. Let's introduce our guests, professional chef and cookery writer Denise Phillips and CEO of London's Jewish Community Centre, JW3, who was once voted the 37th most powerful Jew in the UK, is Raymond Simonson. Hi. Thanks for having us. You're very Raymond. welcome. We made 36 other approaches, but we're delighted <laughs> to have you. Uh, I'm laughing to do that because my good friend, Amir Nathan, likes to say that out loud when we're in the most non-Jewish places, whether it's at the football or, you know, down in some little village in Devon about to go surfing and he says to everyone, do you know who he is? He's the 37th most powerful Jew in the country. And we all walk off rather embarrassed. So there you go. Great. And who's 36? Do you know? <laughs> I, I bet you know. I bet if you ask my mother, she would <laughs> tell you and say, 
he was robbed. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. Your mum does think you should have been the 36th most interesting yeah. Now, regular listeners to the podcast will know we always like to find out how our guests self-define as Jews. So you already know that Rachel's Orthodox and I'm Reform. But Raymond, 37th most influential Jew, but what kind of Jew are you? I'm so regretting telling you that now, aren't I? I am going to bring it up all kinds of times now. How do you identify? Well, I identify as the 36th most powerful. It's the words powerful Jew that sounds... Definitely. Like the thing is, if they if they made that an annual thing, I was hoping throughout my career I could climb up the ladder, but I'm worried now. It's been quite a few years since they last did that in the Jewish Chronicle. By now, I might have like slipped off the list and I would genuinely be upset. <laughs> like, you know, when I was younger and didn't care, now I'd be really bothered by it. So yes, I'm uh, what kind of Jew? I'm a, I'm a professional Jew, Jew by trade. I'm a three-dimensional, 360 degrees Jew. I wear my Jewishness on my sleeve. Probably described sometimes by other people as a wandering Jew. I grew up in a liberal house. My dad, uh, my late father, I would always describe him as a from atheist, like a real adamant uh, atheist, although he grew up in an an East End Orthodox uh, household. My mum was born in France, you know, hidden towards the end of the war and escaped as a small child with her family to England, grew up in a very liberal Jewish household. And I had this strong Jewish identity from Jewish youth club days. Did that whole kind of, you know, gap year in Israel and studied Jewish history at university. But all I would say is for years, I've kind of wandered around different bits of the Jewish community. I've been members of all sorts of different shuls and I think I've ended up really being adamant that I'm not a denominational Jew just Jewish I love that I love the idea of being a non-denominational Jew because really very few people fit into like one tiny little box yeah I love the shul I belong to I love the 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 rabbis and the cantor and the community I love the previous shul I belong to which was a completely different denomination so I'm not very good on the kind of hushkafic bit of Judaism but you know I love going to shul and being with community and I'm kind of comfortable governing in all sorts of different places but I get to live my Jewishness every day because of my entire career has been spent in the Jewish community. That's a lovely answer. Denise, how about you? What kind of Jew are you? Well, I'm a just Jewish and a bit more. I'm a member of the United Synagogue. I'm very happy and very proud to be part of Northwood United Synagogue. I'm very much involved. I was on the board of the synagogue there for probably the best part of nearly 20 years. Of course, what did I get involved in? The Kiddish. So if I know <laughs> most of the people there, if there's any broigities about the food, Denise would know about it. And it's actually a lovely world to connect with everyone because it's always about their simcha, whether it's the, a wedding, anniversary, a new baby or something. And Denise is on there sorting out the food for them. So that is really lovely. Friday nights are very special for me with the family. To be perfectly honest, I've been married 17 years. And we didn't have a Friday night alone till way after COVID when my daughter could actually move out. My son moved out one weekend. She moved in the next. We thought we had the house to ourselves, but we didn't. So we've <laughs> always had guests. And eating just the two of us on Friday night was like, oh, we've got to talk to each other. <laughs> it, no, romantic it is, dinner. It, I love to cook. And to be honest, part of the cooking, I love to share my food. It's not Friday night unless I've got people around the table. I have a mother, I have sisters and friends that we all have to come. Come, chill, relax, enjoy, and I can't wait to spoil you all and cook for you. So my Jewishness is around my food. I am kosher inside the home and outside. I'm always experimenting with new ingredients. So the KLPD send me through new products. So I'm experimenting. So yes, 
that's where I am. I love that. And it's made me realise that as delighted as I am to have you as a guest on the show, I'm gutted we're doing it remotely. So <laughs> I feel that if we were doing this in person, you'd have catered the event. I and- would, I would. I mean, on my Instagram, the most popular section is the holler. Whenever I do a holler recipe, it goes boom. Everyone's collecting and loving it. It's just putting my creativity to the physical becoming the spiritual and that's what I love about it making it tasty but meaningful I wouldn't trust a person who didn't love challah that's got to be a line in the sand I barely trust a person that doesn't call it challah at least Denise called it challah which is you know as, a, as an Essex Jew I mean I know we're not on the other we haven't the other even got yet, into but... bagel bagel we're already at challah 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 is I think the most talked about subject ever on Jew talking to me like across all the episodes if we did one of those bot searches for a the word that's come up the most often, I think challah probably is it. Maybe chicken soup, but challah definitely up there. Well, mm-hmm. it's an option to be as creative as you want. Changing the flavours, changing the flowers, the toppings, the glazing. Could just talk and eat challah every day. A friend of mine has done a project. This is her second year of doing it, where every week she designs a challah to fit that week's Torah portion. She I, does I've a different that. one wow. every single week of the year. And they are so detailed and incredible. And even the portions which don't seem to have a lot of life in the story, and they're all just about who was a descendant of who or how you built something she makes these incredible incredible things the whole of last year I did recipe for the cedra for our synagogue that went on our Facebook group so every single week but some cedras are really challenging I imagine the famine one is difficult We always like to find out what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently. So, Raymond Simonson, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? Every day is a day full of Jewishness, right? Because I run a Jewish community centre right in the heart of the Jewish community. So literally everything and very little of which is amusing (laughs) to talk about. But I would say that recently I realised I found myself going to a lot of Lavoyas and Shivers, right? Because I'm kind of connected in the community. I find myself going to pay visits to Shiver houses a lot and I have a very good friend who lives in LA, Jason. And every time he has tried to FaceTime me over the last few months, like whatever random time he chooses, I seem to be either on my way to a shiver or on my way back from a shiver or on my way to a Navoya. And literally the other night, I was driving home from a shiver. I walked to the door and he FaceTimed me. And I said, I can't, you've done it again. I'm just coming from a shiver. At which point he asked me, like, is your job professional shiver goer? Are you addicted to roles? <laughs> like he thinks that's what I do. So yes, pretty much everything I do is Jewish and Jewish. Could Jason be the culprit? Like, is he killing them off? And then that's how comes he phones <laughs> you every time. Like in a, you know, in a murder mystery where the, the murderer is like, bet. oh, inspector, there might be a body. To be fair, he does sound suspiciously surprised. What do you mean you're on your way back from a shiver? <laughs> no, I think he just thinks that I have a morbid obsession. Didn't the, there uh, used to be a job of professional mourner? Yes, was it, for saying the Kaddish prayers. No, but wasn't it really wealthy people? They'd hire people in, effectively actors, who would come and cry at the graveside. In my mind, it's a Greek tradition, but I don't know why I'm thinking that. But maybe that's your role. I think I could offer something better to the community <laughs> than being the, uh, <laughs> the professional shiver guy. Although there are times where I've seen... And heard a lot of things said at Shivers and the Voyeurs that I've often said I could I'd make you know those little books that you get you know if you go to like Waterstones around Christmas time and they have those tiny little stocking filler type books like the little book of hugs 
the little book of whatever. And I think I've got the little book of inappropriate things that people say at shivers, uh, in, including I've been on the receiving end of some of those things where people have come up and said completely inappropriate things. I think I speak for all of our listeners when I say such as. I'm trying to think of ones. I can't swear, can I, right? It's a clean show. Because I can tell you one of the most inappropriate ones. I've got to have to anonymise it. It was, a, I'll say, just a former colleague, thankfully, who no longer works for me. The shiver was at my home. It was my wife and my mother-in-law. My sister and brother were sitting shiver about seven years ago when my father-in-law tragically died. I mean, it was really horrible, too young. Everyone knew this was, you know, a really, really sad one. And a colleague who's senior and knows better and is Jewish and is older, is involved in community, turned up to the house and he found himself standing in front of my poor mother-in-law. And this is like two days, you know, after she buried her husband. And he had what my wife and I always call shiver panic, right? And he stopped in front of her and he said, no word of a lie, he looked at her, he went blank and he went, oh, happens. <laughs> I promise you that is a true story. Any other wow. story I give you will not beat that. I get people coming up to me because they know me in the community. I've been at Shiver. So again, a very close family member, Shiver. I'm a uh, Lavoyer, should I say. And I'm there. I can't believe I'm telling just Lavoyer and Shiver stories. That wasn't the intention. But there we are at Lavoya. I'm about to, you know, get the spade and dig the earth and put it on. And someone who I don't know says, oh, are you the, are you the one, are you the JW3 one? And I went, uh, sorry, I'm just, just about to, uh, he said, oh yeah, yeah, but you're the one, you're the, you're the one who does JW3. And I said, yeah, can we talk after? I'm just about to do that. He said, no, but I just must have a word. My wife was wondering about, no, I'm trying to put the earth on a family member of mine. Like this is not the time or the place. Anyway, the reason I mention it is because whenever I've been with friends and I've kind of mentioned this, everyone has stories. I do. I, I'm going to share mine. Uh, but first of all, I'd like to say that calling you the JW3 one makes you sound like a wanted criminal. Well, you're, um, the, you're the JW3 one, aren't you? The JW3 oh, one. one. Yeah. Release the JW3 one. Just me, Raymond Simonson. I've got a couple of stories I will share. One is a very awkward thing that I said at my dad's best friend's dad's funeral down in Brighton or something for the funeral. I'd gone with for the day and he was really touched that I'd been there and said oh, I'm really grateful that you came and I, I didn't have a clue what I was supposed to say and I panicked and said well I, I wouldn't have missed it for the world <laughs> like it was some you know like oh, I've been yeah. looking forward to this for months must have been good catering yeah oh amazing <laughs> Brighton it was all vegan but then my wife's grandfather died on my birthday one year Aww. and so the funeral was the next day and so many people came up to me afterwards and said oh I bet that's not how you want to spend your birthday, is it? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. He, we, we'd spoken about it, actually. And he said, is there anything I can get you for your birthday? And I thought, you know what? I'd really like to be with family as much as possible. Not, not you, but everyone else. I honestly think you could do, there you go, Rachel. Here's your next Edinburgh show. You could do inappropriate things said at the Voice and Shivers. I just want, I want 2%. That's all I want. Funnily enough, in my last Edinburgh show, I did talk a little bit about the fact that I haven't been to a funeral or a shiver for the last maybe six, seven, possibly even 10 years without one person coming up to me and saying, oh, go on, tell us a joke. Every single time, tell us a joke, tell us a joke. But the highlight of that all was, and I'd been doing quite a lot of community gigs at one point, and then a relative of my husband passed away. And so I went to uh, pay a shiver visit. I was particularly close to the wife of the person who was sitting in shiver. And so I went in the kitchen, had a little chat with her, then it was prayers, then I left. And then she texted 
with me afterwards and she said, as soon as I left, two women came into the kitchen and said to her, what made you book Rachel Krieger for this? That's very inappropriate. Uh, oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. It is very funny. But I would like to say right now that uh, to our listeners, I am available for shivers and for mitzvahs and weddings. So whoever cheers you, people up. I mean, you should see her at shivers. She kills. Just kills. <laughs> <laughs> and Denise, what about you? What's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? Well, I've been very excited about this. The United Synagogue has now employed me to do a video for each festival. So I've already just done Hanukkah and it will be two Bishvat then. And we have a short video talking about a recipe for the festival. And it goes to the entire United Synagogue readers that get the Richard Verber newsletter, which is about 18,000. But I write every week for the Jewish Weekly. When we did Rosh Hashanah um, and Sukkot, I was on the TV. BBC One on Sunday Morning Live talking about recipes so my life is a very much Jewish and very often around food no one day is ever the same shidduching one of the biggest mitzvahs ever is to find someone a shidduch Denise could you just explain what shidduching is for anyone who's never heard the expression before it's finding your soulmate finding your partner finding your future husband or wife. So I've been doing this date and plate for over 20 years through food, through cookery classes. And now on Zoom, I'm doing them online with breakout rooms. And so you're getting people from all over. So I've been to heaven and back several times. I mean, honestly, it's not just three. We, we even have date and plate babies. I mean, what more could you wish for? It oozes romance. It oozes fun. It oozes excitement. And vibe Charlie, that's never dull. So what with all your work? Work, doing the cooking and obviously the the cedra food and everything for the united synagogue and now all the shidduching as well i think maybe you are the 36th most influential <laughs> we always like to check in with our guests and find out how they're doing and ask what's the matter bubbler so raymond what's going on with you i've got two small ones they're both very topical as we're recording <laughs> But by the time anyone's listened to this, uh, hopefully they'll remember this. But one was like every single Jewish parent in the country. I was very upset to learn from the Prime Minister this week that Pepper Pig World is actually open on days that are not just Holomoid, Pesach or Sukkot. I mean, who, who knew? <laughs> because like like all the other Jews, I've only ever been there when there's other people rustling open some silver foil with mutzahs in it because that's the day <laughs> when no one else is there. And the other thing that's kind of uh, wound me up and got me a bit twitchy this week, I don't know if any of you saw this absolutely bizarre tweet a couple of days ago. It was by this British Greek Orthodox Christian bloke called Jonah Marcus. And he tweeted, okay. and I'm going to use what I think was his pronunciation rather than my own. So forgive me, Rachel. Uh, He tweeted, Jews eat bagels on Christmas Day to remind themselves that without Christ as the centre of their life, they have nothing. Wow. Did you see this? Did you not see this? The Twitter Ferrari? So there were so many things that bother me about it, right? Firstly, of course, as Rachel well knows, it's bagel, not bagel. 100%. There's an E-I, not an A. I mean, no self-respecting Jew would call it anything else that's mm-hmm. one secondly i've never knowingly eaten a bagel on christmas day like by choice like it's christmas day i must eat, i must eat a bagel that's what i'm gonna do and of course all the american jews were responding to the tweet again no it's chinese food you know that sort of american jewish thing um, absolutely so i've never got the memo i wasn't taught in cheda growing up that that's what we have to do on the 25th of december and to be honest like kind of two or three thousand other jews in this country usually on christmas day i'm at limut which means 
by Christmas Day, I'm eating my 12th jacket potato of the week. Um, <laughs> so that's what normally happens. And, uh, and yeah, and then the final thing, of course, about that whole thing is now that he's pointed out that without Christ in my life, I have nothing, I suddenly feel bereft. I felt quite fulfilled before. And now I'm just thinking I need some kind of Bible with a hole to make up for the fact that I don't have Christ in my life. I'm not making up the tweet. Look it up. It's just brilliant. And the responses have been hilarious. See, we do have bagels on Christmas Day because we have, <laughs> we have Christmas lunch. We go to we normally go to my aunt's. Not the not Chinese. Going... People have Chinese. <laughs> we have roast turkey. It's it's amazing. And then they do a tea the other end of the day. And that's normally bagels, colour rolls, things like that with whatever uh, spreads they've got. So Yeah, does it remind yeah. you? Of the fact is that it because Christ at the centre of your life. No, but, but if anything, I'm just happy to to have a day off from remembering that Christ is not a part of my life. <laughs> like, it's all I think about sometimes. And the daddy pig thing you mentioned. Now, obviously, I don't know how well you know this, but I, I do know. used to be daddy pig in the theatre production of Peppa Pig. And I have upset some people on TikTok by putting a video on there with a kind of exclusive saying that when I did the show, we spoke to the creators of Peppa Pig who pointed out that the success behind the show really is that nothing bad happens in Peppa's world. And I kind of feel maybe they want to retract that now that Boris has been and people got I very mean, upset. Wasn't that <laughs> terrible how he lost his way on that speech? I felt I'm so embarrassed that he's our prime minister. At the time of recording, he's our prime minister. <laughs> I have a feeling by the time this goes out, he will be king. Or if he's been ousted by the time people listen to this, perhaps he's sitting at home eating a Bible so that the whole can remind him of the gap of being prime minister that he used to have. <laughs> and the baby Jesus. And the baby Jesus. If yeah. he says Bible, the Daily Mail will have a field day. <laughs> but imagine the celebrations in the Simonson slash Krieger households. <laughs> It'll be victory, finally vindicated. I couldn't yes. care less where I am on your next Jew 100 list. It's Bigels. We've won it. It's Bigels. So there is a lot going on with Raymond topically at the time of recording. Denise, how about you? What's the matter, Bubbler? Well, it is connected with food. Surprise, surprise. But I really do have... Two issues. One is that there's not enough cookery classes in schools. Mm -hmm. It's one of the subjects that is dropped. So many families do not teach their kids to cook. For me, it's like the Shema, and you should teach your children how to cook, what to do. They would observe so much just by looking if their mother cooks or the father cooks in the household. If they don't cook, I can assure you, their kids grow up and don't cook. During the summer, I was teaching kids going off to uni. I was gobsmacked to see the naivety of what they just didn't know time management, food preparation, knife skills, how to store food, just really basic things, had no idea. And they're going off to university. So I did my very best to teach them some quick skills, um, quick fixed meals on a budget, like Tuesday burger night. You club together as a group, make it fun, make it exciting. So that's one of them, that there's not enough actual education of actual teaching in the schools and families don't teach. And the other one is the standard of school lunches. Ah. A few weeks ago in the Times, Jamie Oliver was reviewing the standards of lunches in the schools. Was it 10 to 15 years? He worked so hard to improve the standards, the content, what the kids were eating was a whole rebellion and things improved enormously. But since COVID, what has happened is that contracts have been lost and suppliers 
are no longer the same suppliers and the budgets have been reduced. So the school lunches have deteriorated again. I can only say if you don't eat properly, you aren't going to learn properly. Thank you. For the benefit of those listening, Raymond just stood up and gave rounds of applause, which I was about to do, but he got there first. Can we all agree that Denise has made me look absolutely shallow with my trivial answers <laughs> to these questions, with my trying to go for a cheap laugh with a pathetic story about a tweet about a Jesus Bible, and then Denise comes in with a barnstorming, you know, knock our socks off answer. And I think I should just be quiet for the rest of the episode and because I've only got silly <laughs> things to say. I've got nothing important to say. Finally. What could be more Jewish than interrupting our own show to remind you that back episodes of the podcast are available on all of the usual platforms, as well as our website, jewtalkingtome.com. And as well as catching up on things you've missed, why not be the first in line to hear all future episodes by subscribing to our Patreon? For just a small monthly donation, you'll get exclusive access to free gifts, bonus footage, live events, and much, much more. This is your chance to support the podcast in return for which we'll keep doing what we've been doing, as well as putting out extra content just for you to find out more just go to patreon.com forward slash you talking without the g go on it's what your mother would want and now back to the show as a jewish mother nothing makes me happier than discussing food and if i bump into somebody i often will ask them have you eaten yet so this is a chance to share your favorite jewish food moment with us now it does feel like all we've done so far is talk about food but that is a subject that never gets dull for us especially if we have someone like denise on the show so uh let me ask denise first what is your best story that connects to jews and food my mother's chopped liver has been renowned. Bless her, she's 91 and she still makes the chopped liver. So whatever we call FND, Friday night dinner, wherever my sisters are going, she will bring the chopped liver with, which is just amazing. Even friends and neighbours come over and just double check. So the story really goes, the fact that liver now comes ready kosher. It used to be before you could only go to the butcher and you had to kosher it yourself. Now that it already kosher, because basically they felt that people weren't koshering it properly, they couldn't keep a track of how kosher it was, her recipe has changed slightly, but it's even better. I mean, she puts all the onions, more onions in it, and it's just divine. So that is something she was very proud of at the age of 91. And to talk about Jewish food, my whole life is surrounded by Jewish food. And that's what I specialise is modern Jewish cooking with style. So it's with a twist. So I know Raymond was talking about a pickled cucumber, but I did a pickled cucumber latke. What? Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. That's uh, I've got it's, it's, shift it's in my seat. Grated potato with pickled cucumber in it. With a beautiful horseradish sauce with apple puree. And this was the, actually the winning recipe that when we did various competitions that they had, the Jewish bake-off or Jewish ready, steady cook. And that was my winning recipe was my beetroot latke. It's, it's, it's a healthy option. It's got tahini and porridge in it and just binds it together with egg and a little flour, wholemeal flour and served a stylish way with sprigs of dill, horseradish, apple puree, and a tiny bit of sour cream. It is divine. It sounds very Heston Blumenthal. It is modern stylish food with a twist. Excellent. See, I, I like that kind of improvising. I've started making my own hummus over lockdown where, you know, you take the chickpeas, you peel them, drain them, whatever. And then you get this thing of hummus and then you, you decide what to add to it. 
And beetroot is one I've discovered is a really beautiful thing to add to hummus. It turns it a disgustingly pink colour. Beautiful colour. But beetroot is, it's so good as a hummus base. It is, you could buy the ready cooked, but when you use the raw, your hands go red. Uh, this is my important question, because I know you're very keen on healthy eating. Does your mum put schmaltz in her chopped liver? No, she doesn't. Chop the chicken soup, I will add that yeah. to Canada. Me too, and that's what I, I agree. Add that. I mean, her recipe is a, is a cup of mutts milk, a cup of chicken soup, one egg, roll it together, and they are so light, not golf balls, light. But yes, I do make the traditional, but I also do, it's with a twist that's healthier, but not the Canadian. I often think about like my grandma's chicken soup, which was covered in fat. And I'm just not capable of cooking like that now. Even though it was delicious, I ate it all those years. That's not how we make stuff now. And also people say, well, it's so unhealthy. They all live to be like a million years old in our family, the schmaltz eaters. My mother, her mother, and her mother made it that way. So I make it. But actually, it's time to change. I've been vegetarian for just over 30 years, so this conversation is making me f slightly faint, uh, oh, as, as whenever you, you talk about... Raymond, it's time <laughs> to change. I mean, it's changed now, but when I first became vegetarian, like being a vegetarian in Jewish circles was, was almost like, oh, it's like marrying out. I think my, someone in my family did Korea. You know, they sat shiver and, and cried a bit. It's like, and, and I became vegetarian. I was on my gap year in Israel and I was in a place called Dimona, the uh, the flower of the desert, not the nuclear, I mean, not the uh, secret shoe factory, but um, in the middle of town. And, and you go for Friday night dinners to people and you'd explain in advance you're vegetarian and they'd say, okay. And they'd serve you a bowl. Everyone else was having chillin. They'd serve you a bowl of vegetables and potatoes. And you kind of lean over and see they're just serving it from the chillin. It's, it's potatoes and vegetables that have been stewing for 25 hours in the meat. Or they'd say, oh, no, no, or vegetarian, okay. And they'd give you fish. I know, because you're vegetarian, you could eat fish. So yes, Jews and vegetarians, it wasn't always a happy relationship, but uh, I find it's a lot easier now. It's not exactly the same thing, Raymond, but when I was in Israel, my gap year, uh, cousins of my mum took me out for dinner in Tel Aviv to a fish restaurant where everything was a la esh, so cooked on the flames, and had the most delicious, delicious sea bass, and it came with really amazing garlicky chips and gorgeous salads. And then just before we left, like we finished our dinner, they paid, I said, I just must run to the loo. So I went into the actual restaurant and I had to walk past all of the um, barbecues when they're making the fish and I saw like prawns and lobsters and whatever oh. and I was like hang on a minute this seems a bit <laughs> odd so I went back to them and I said you know I'm kosher I'm, is this not a kosher restaurant and they went oh well, we thought you know like meat is kosher and stuff but like fish is fish. fish I was just really happy that I only found out after I'd already eaten the very delicious food Israel, as they say yeah Israel. so Raymond what about you what are your strongest memories or feelings connected to Jewish food I've got an old one and a recent one if that's all right okay so that, the old one is I think I must have been aged I don't know, nine or 10. And every year, the Purim fancy dress costume competition was a big deal in the Simonson house, right? So my mum and my grandfather, my late grandfather, uh, used to put a lot of effort into hand making all these amazing costumes for us over the years. And this year, nine or 10 years old, they decided to make a giant box of Rakuzin's matzah that I kind of wore on me. I mean, it was phenomenal down to the real fine detail. And I won. Amazing. I was very happy I won. Anyway, roll forward years later, I was in my 
late 20s and I was at a huge Jewish fundraising event at the Dorchester for the UJA and there was all the machas there the chief rabbi and all the major philanthropists and the big guest speaker was the Israeli prime minister of the time Bibi Netanyahu because he was throughout <laughs> most of our life um, and I was kind of like the warm-up speaker before Bibi was giving the big keynote right? I was this young Jewish communal professional they made a film about me and the work that I was doing in informal Jewish education around the UK. In fact, how I first met Philip, when I used to train Jewish youth leaders and run all these seminars. So for weeks, a camera crew had followed me around whilst I ran all these, you know, training seminars and gave lectures. And I was doing a master's at Goldsmith and they came and filmed me there, went to synagogues and all these things and they filmed me. Great. And I was really excited to see this film they were making, which was meant to be kind of inspiring the donors to donate money for kind of informal Jewish education, what an important work it was. And I was only going to see the film for the first time that night. So there I was, Dorchester, full dinner suit, black bow tie, trying to pretend I was a proper grown-up with these important people. And I get on the stage before Netanyahu, and I do my kind of two, three minutes trying to inspire a thousand guests or so about the importance of investing in Jewish education, blah, blah, blah. The lights go down, I have to stand to the side, I'm on the stage, and they start the film. And they really want to kind of emphasise this point about inspiring younger generations. And look, in the opening seconds of the film, there's this huge image on the screen, this gigantic screen of young Raymond dressed as a box of Rakuzin's matzah <laughs> <laughs> with some cheesy music and a voiceover about how Jewish identity starts from a young age or something, something like that, right? <laughs> and I kind of look at him now. I had no idea, no idea that that was going to be on there. And it turns out that someone in the fundraising team who was making the film had just contacted my mum and asked if she had any photos of me, you know, in my youth, showing me involved in something around Jewish identity or Jewish education, you know, like my bar mitzvah or things like that. And of course, amongst the classic photos that my mum got out was me dressed as a matzah. And there are people in the community that for years later, I might go and see a donor. And they'd be like, ah, not come in your matzo box. Ah, how's Mrs. Rakuzin? How's Mrs. Rakuzin doing? You know, things like that. So um, I kind of, every year on Pesach, I do get, it's like a trigger, that box with that Mr. Rakuzin. Uh, that's my old story, my Mr. Rakuzin story. Um, okay. That's a good that? story. We should say that for balance, other constipation-inducing foods are available. I think there's like the, the, the king and queen of British Jewish foods, right? You've got... Mr. Rakuzin, and you've got, of course, Mrs. Ellsworth, right? Yeah. So it's so, Rakusins if you're from at North. Yes. It is yes, Rakusins. Which I'm definitely not. <laughs> Where is? It's, it, was, it was always Mr. Rakuzin. Ah, oh, that Mr. Rakuzin. I know, but when we you must... do business with them, you have to talk the way they do. When you talk to Mr. Rakuzins, it's Rakusins. I remember when I was younger, actually, you definitely keep people go, oh, that, that Mr. Rakuzin, he must be raking it in this time of year. But um, yeah. anyway, Rakusins, all right, I'm... I'm uh, I've been corrected on that in the past and forgotten. You're friends with Deborah Tamara as well, aren't you? Yes, I know Deborah. Yeah, so Deborah's friends of mine as well. And I remember the first time I went over to her house, like we had a show on together in Leeds, and I went to um, her house and her mum said something about Rackersons and then Deborah said Rackersons. And I just thought that was like, you know, in a family sometimes you've got a jokey way that you pronounce something. And it's just, I just thought, oh, that's just the Tamers. That's like the funny way they say Rackersons like their little in joke and then sometime later i heard someone else say rackersons and i was like oh that's hilarious because my friends right her family also say rackersons and they were like no no that is their name so i told deborah she went, no that's their name that's what they're called so yeah i thought you'd like that is that like how philip and his family have this jokey way of calling a uh, a bagel a bagel 
in there. Yeah, it's just a little joke. joke. Much, so, yes. It's an in-joke. <laughs> okay. uh, but Raymond, what was your other story? Oh, oh, and just the Mrs. Ellsworth one, because, you know, you can't have British Jews talking about food without the Mrs. Ellsworth. Um, mm-hmm. So, of course, you've had the lovely, the wonderful Rachel Mars on before, and uh, I think you talked a bit about her pickle watch, her brilliant... Little bit, watch. loads. So, loads of people had interesting kind of habits that they developed during lockdown, mm-hmm. healthy things or baking sourdough uh, once a week or going for walks. My strange habit, it just grew, was because I was working from home for the first time ever for a while, and, of course, like some of you, being the head teacher and chief entertainment officer and everything else at home, I started realising every day I'd sort of open the fridge to sort of go, oh, what am I going to make the kids for lunch now? And whilst I was pondering it, I'd open the Mrs. Ellswood, and I'm a Hamisher jar person, by the way, I'm a Hamisher mm. pickle. I'd open a the jar and I'd eat a pickle and it became known as Daddy's Daily Pickle. Oh, was Daddy had his daily pickle? Oh, it's Daddy had Oh, my wife would come home from work. She's a psychiatric nurse for the NHS, so she wasn't working from home. She'd come home and, oh, how was your day? Oh, did Daddy have his daily pickle? And it became this thing that <laughs> I, I then started sort of feeling obliged almost that I had to have it. But every single day, honestly, for, I don't know, you know, 16 months, I had a pickle, whatever happened. And I was always ordering. I always had some, some in the larder and some in the fridge. It was always a stop. And then some, a disaster struck earlier this year, as you may remember, it was there on social media, couldn't get any Hamisher pickle, couldn't get any Hamisher, couldn't get Mrs. You could get all the other types, couldn't get. I went to every supermarket in Hendon, Golders, Finchley, uh, the Finchley Road, Swiss Cottage. I went to Waitrose's and Tesco's and Sainsbury's and I tried on lot. You could not get. And it started becoming the thing that I noticed other people. I think you, Rachel, commented on it. I know Rachel Mars. Yeah. Online, it became a sort of a jokey thing. And I thought, hold on a minute, this isn't funny now because I have run out of the sugar. It now feels a bit weird because I, I was having the day you pick up and now I'm not having. And like Samson cutting his hair, I was losing it. So <laughs> one, one, even, one evening, because I'm a sad little man, I thought, well, I've got to do something about this. I'm the 37th most powerful Jew in the country. If I can't solve it, if I can't solve it, who can? Okay, I'll, I'll find the Mrs. Ellsworth number. I'll phone her. Um, I'll tweet her. Anyway, I tracked down the... Uh, the company, it's Empire Bespoke Foods. They're based in Uxbridge, in case you're interested. Yes. And I phoned the number and a very, very lovely gentleman called Raj, who was very bemused by how interested I was um, to find <laughs> out. He, bless him, went away and found out and um, did call me back and explained at the time that there was a cucumber shortage. It was the specific cucumbers they grow, you know, for the jars. There was a shortage because of Brexit, because of workers, you know, who pick these uh, going back to the countries they live so it was good we could blame Brexit I felt a lot better about that blame Brexit and then I said to him hold on a minute how can I see all of the other Mrs Ellswood cucumbers everywhere surely the cucumbers are the same there's the sweet and sour there's all the other ones I just couldn't get the Hamisher so he said I sorry I can't answer I'll, I'll call I'll call you back <laughs> and bless him the next day he called back and he explained and can you guess what the answer was is it a different you don't care do you really be honest <laughs> no I really care because I make my own pickles so I really want to ah, know yeah Go I on. should have done well, okay, so the so the answer was, of course, the cucumbers are the same. The Hamisher ones were the most popular. So the Hamisher ones had sold out. All the stock had sold out, but they still had stock of the other lesser pickles. Anyway, at some point, I suddenly saw someone on Twitter a few weeks later going, ah, <laughs> I found Hamisher. And I literally went out and I bought about 10 jars of Mrs. Ellsworth Hamisher pickle to restock. And Daddy's Daily Pickle was back. Because... <laughs> Do you know why they're called Mrs. Ellsworth? Because there isn't a Mrs. Ellsworth. Do you know why? We do. We've discussed oh, yeah. it at great length on this show, actually. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. We did Elstree and Boreham Wood. Yeah. yeah. Which upsets yeah. me yeah. that they're based in Uxbridge. Yes. I know. Now. I know. And it's, yeah. it is. 
There is no Mrs. Ellswood. I think there should be a kind of X Factor style competition for somebody to be like the Mrs. Ellswood figure. And I think it would come down to me and Rachel Mars at the end, like just in terms of knowledge and consumption of their products. So, oh, yeah. uh, and I was one of the people who uh, messaged you when I found them. I can't remember which shop I was in. I was like, I found a dusty old jar at the back of a at the back of a shop somewhere, and you're like, Oh, I hope it'll still. Be. I'm going to leave my house. And- it was like kind of illicit drug deals. There were people going, I can pick up. Like, I've, I've got there were a few people. Oh, look, I've got one for you. If you can meet me in this car park, meet me in the Esso garage <laughs> after midnight. I'll pass it to you in a brown. A liaison pickle. Yeah. <laughs> but you know that Very all good. the non-Jews were hoarding toilet paper and pasta <laughs> and it's only the Jews who are going for the pickles and there's only one type of pickle anyway only one and actually I have to tell you there was a, I, I was like you know what I'm a big boy I, I, I like other kinds of pickles and as you said before other pickles are available and I kind of like it in falafel or any Israeli food I like those very Israeli stuff it's a very different pickle. sour pickles and so I live in Finchley and around the corner there's a bunch of different kind of Middle Eastern shops Lebanese shops Syrian shops that kind of thing and they tend to also stock some Israeli products so you get the like the Palestinian zatar and then you get the tins of pickles and there's a make one of the main makes you'd recognize if you saw it and it, the, the Hebrew name for it is Beit Hashita and I convinced my children that was Hebrew for the toilet Thank you. That's a true story. I told them, I told my then 12-year-old and 9-year-old child who were learning Hebrew that that's Hebrew for the, for the toilet. <laughs> that's probably what happens if you eat too many. Yeah. It's, it's my greatest You're going to need that toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've talked a lot already today about whether we say bagel or incorrectly we say bagel or whether we say... <laughs> Rakusans, or whether you correctly say Rakusans. So, <laughs> so we, we think we should maybe ask you about Bruegesses that you may have had that you want to share with us. So, Denise, is there anything you'd like to get off your chest? In the nicest possible way, the less I say, the less likely there will be a Bruegess. There is no way that I could say anything that wasn't nice. So, in order not to have a Bruegess and no Lush and Horror, nothing to say. I prefer lotion pudding to lotion horror, of course. <laughs> Raymond, how about you? Are you braver? I'm absolutely not brave. If, if in my communal leadership position, I'm going to risk creating a broigus by telling you one. So as long as you start learning how to say Bible, there will be no broigus. You once said that uh, you're going to wait until you've retired and then do a tell-all book. Is that still oh, the case? Honestly, if it could get through legal, I would have such a brilliant like set of memoirs that only about four people would have any interest in. Right? It would be so niche. But the stories I could tell about the Jewish community and leadership, but I would have to absolutely be yeah, retired and just on my deathbed ready to release it so no one could sue me. Or just get me drunk. What would you call the book? <laughs> oh. oh JW me. Kish can tell. <laughs> Kish can tell. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> Well, you know, please God, next year the pandemic will be either over or under control. We will be back at Limud like normal, where you and I often do hang out in the bar. Oh, yes. And um, yes. I will be just, you know, attempting to get some of these stories. <laughs> I'll, I'll be like getting all the free drink tokens for presenters clubbing together to see what <laughs> secrets I can get out of you. Lots of people think that all Jews are connected. And if we're not connected to each other, then we're connected to a celebrity almost without a doubt. For example, Denise and I, we once were both working on a food show. I don't know if you remember at a big synagogue. They had a, a cook off and you were the judge and I was the host. Do you remember that at all? Yes. You're looking at me really blankly. Yes. Yeah, no, no, oh, no. Excellent. I do remember. I do remember. Uh, 
And uh, Raymond, you and I originate in the same place back in the wilds of Essex. But other than the four of us, if we think about six degrees of Conti Bacon, who is your most interesting personal Jewish connection? So uh, Denise, what about you? Well, I was very privileged with the launch of my previous cookbook, Celebrate Every Day with Denise Phillips, was with Maureen Lippmann. My goodness, is she a star. She is an angel. Her jokes just flow. So there we were. I'm doing a cookery demonstration. It's an aid of high cancer care. Oh, probably 200 people there. It's her and I are on the stage. I'm cooking. She's telling the jokes. I tell you, we'd met each other only five minutes beforehand for a briefing and there was not a dry eye watching us. The tears of laughter. And she just takes it on. It was an amazing. I just, I still so special. And even now, I said we're best buddies, but we certainly got a lovely close connection. We made a huge amount of money for cancer care, which sadly touches so many people's lives. People suffering from cancer and counselling. That place at Hendon really is an amazing organisation. And I know that Maureen's done lots of events too. I've done loads of different things for Chai. And I say, I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. I love that you did end up friends because so often like you hear these stories and it's like, and then that was the end of that. But that's very sweet that you've ended up. She was telling jokes one after the other. I'm cooking something more than and then she's turning it in. And I'm also talking about the adventures of going on and the cookeries and what things have happened. And of course, she's asking me about day to play again, about the guys and what they do, what they say. And she's sharing her anecdotes at the same time. It was amazing. And I say privileged to be a friend of hers, privileged to be part of that fundraising event. And I say I have the most amazing cookbook. I've got it here. Celebrate every day. It is a beautiful, beautiful book. All in a good cause. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Denise. And uh, Raymond, what about you? I mean, we come from Essex, the home of every possible stellar person on the Jewish community circuit. But... uh, any other interesting people? Well, firstly, it's I really can't follow Denise every time because she has these beautiful stories and I've got some trivial bit of tact to tell you again. <laughs> um, Love a bit of tact. Um, yeah. Look, I'm, on the one hand, I'm very lucky in my job because I get to meet and work with so many amazing Jewish actors, writers, politicians, and really it's it's a, a huge privilege to meet so many of them and you know occasionally get lovely photos with them and, and nice memories, none of which you want to hear about because it will start just sounding like me name-dropping lots of names. So I'll tell you something else, which is I had this cousin, uh, much, much older than me, so a generation or so above, but a cousin on my dad's side. He was the only other Simonson. So it's a very unusual surname. And he was the only other Simonson that wasn't in our household. No one else in the family or in the country, in fact, had the surname. And his name was Stuart Simonson. And he was, for many, many years when we were kids, he was Paul McCartney's chauffeur. Oh, wow. So, now, we didn't meet him. We didn't know he didn't come to family because he wasn't that. But we knew that Stuart Simonson, our cousin, was Paul McCartney's chauffeur. So in our house, as kids, he was a bit of a legend, right? And we always thought he might turn up one day with Paul McCartney in his car at our house in Gantz Hill and just turn up for (laughs) Seder or something and we'd get to meet him. And of course, as a kid, I would boast to friends about my cousin, you know, the only other person with a silence and name. And these are the days before Google, right? And people would say, oh, it's not true. And no, it's true. And, you know, my cousin is Paul McCartney's chauffeur, Stuart Simonson. And he was this kind of legendary, almost mythical figure in our house. And then Whenever you'd see on TV that Paul McCartney was turning up for like a film premiere or something and the car would pull up, we'd be looking out, you know, is that him? Anyway, 
I'd never met him, Paul McCartney mm-hmm. or the cousin. But some years ago, I was telling someone this. And I was like, well, you know what? I've never actually, now we've got Google. I've never actually Googled him. I don't know if he's still Paul McCartney's chauffeur or whatever. So I Googled his name to see what I could find. And the first thing that comes up, loads and loads of loads of links to different versions of the same news story, but in all the tabloids and everywhere <laughs> about Stuart Simonson, the chauffeur. This was about, I think, 2010 or 2011, who had been fined in like, I think it was like Enfield County Court for using Heather Mills. Do you remember Heather Mills, who Paul McCartney yes. was married to for a mm. few years? He was, he was fined for using her blue badge <laughs> to park his car, his smart car, oh, wow. illegally. <laughs> and it turns out she got the chauffeur in the divorce. <laughs> but he then had a, he took a photocopy of her blue badge so that he could use it to park his car illegally wherever he wanted. And he got caught, according to the tabloid press, because... <laughs> The traffic warden, we saw the guy walking away and thought, okay, he doesn't look, nothing obvious to say, but he looked at the blue badge and, and you know, these blue badges now have a photo in it. <laughs> and he thought, hmm, that doesn't look like the bloke. That looks like that woman I recognise from the telly. And everywhere in all of these press articles is this quote, I recognise her from the telly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, after that, I stopped boasting about having a cousin that was Paul McCartney. Show. <laughs> shame, shame on the Simonson name. There you go. That's that it. is That's a my... great story. You like that? That's really good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gutted. But we still never got to meet Paul McCartney. Yet. Yet. I don't think now that there's going to be that connection um, <laughs> to be able to do that. But if I if I do ever meet him, or when I do meet when he finally graces the stage at JW3, I am going to say, <laughs> do you remember your chauffeur you had for many years, Stuart? And then if he reacts with, yes, I'm going to say, I'm just curious. And if he says, oh, yes, lovely Stuart, at that point, I would say, recognize the surname i mean check where he parks because like i'll check where he parks yeah loads of outstanding fines that you then (laughs) (laughs) well that's nearly all we've got time for but how will our audience know what you're up to if you never call you don't write normally we'd allocate 20 seconds to do this but for you 30 Raymond. I would say that, you know, JW3 is the only Jewish community centre and cultural venue of its kind in the UK. It's been a ruddy, tough couple of years, uh, but we are fully open. Unless by the time you're listening to this, we're back in lockdown, but hopefully not. Um, So everyone should just check out, you know, jw3.org.uk. Just come along to some brilliant events. Um, You know, we have the Jewish Comedy Festival, which we've talked about before. There's all sorts going on. And the other thing is, if you're in a position where you might be able to donate a couple of food items, given that this episode has been so food based, we did open a food bank early in lockdown and it's now become a permanent part of what we do. We support a couple of hundred households every week across the borough of Camden and our volunteers are delivering around 150,000 meals worth of food every year now. So if you're able to donate some pasta or some tins of food, just come along to JW3 with it and it will go to somewhere uh, really good. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Fat Sideburns, F-A-T-S-I-D-E-B-U-R-N-S. If you'll see me, you'll know why. Uh, and follow JW3 on at JW3 London. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. You're Thank very you. welcome. Thank you. And uh, Denise, we've given Raymond a chance to be frivolous before you, which was his original complaint. Now, if you'd like to be worthy, uh, where can our audience find you? All right. Well, my website is jewishcookery.com where you'll find over a thousand recipes, which are all free and you can join the newsletter and all my events. I have loads of events. You'll have a corporate event, a celebration, or you are single, date on a plate from age 25 to 70. Do come and uh, connect with me, whether online or face-to-face cookery classes. It is 
the recipe for love. So if you'd like to come along, I have cookbooks as well. And recipes, I'd say, for all occasions. I also do hen parties. So if you found romance, I can also do a hen night too. Follow me on Denise's underscore kitchen or connect with jewishcookery.com. Well, I've really enjoyed this. And from now on, I will always think of Denise as the Jew who should stand for prime minister on a platform of food and Raymond as the third most powerful Jew on this episode of the podcast. And as my grandfather used to say, I loved seeing your smiling faces arrive and I love seeing your little tuchelses leave, which is a good thing as we've come to the end of this week's show. All that's left for us to do is to thank our guests, Denise Phillips and Raymond Simonson. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share the show with everyone you know and check out patreon.com forward slash Jew Talking still without the G. If it's not a chutzpah to ask, we'd love you to leave us a great review as it helps other people find the show and join us next time on you talking to me you talking to me was hosted by me philip simon and me rachel krieger it was produced by russell balkin and judged by our mothers <laughs> rachel just sent me a message before and i responded to the message and she said pg at the end of it i thought she was referencing the fact i hadn't sworn in the message so I sent her the same <laughs> message with a swear best. word and then put 15 underneath. I, I had but when you said PG on, I now, I get it. Oh, Phil, Phil, listen. <laughs> Philip, PG is usually due to a certain generation. And it was my birthday a week or so ago. And my mother-in-law, in her card to me, as, as she would write every year, says... You know, I wish you a year of health and happiness, PG. Yeah. Oh I thought Philip's very tired. He's losing it a little bit because PG he sent me like a swear word. I, I just put the same message. I put, put a swear 15. word in. I'm paranoid now, Denise, that whilst we're kind of telling our stories, they're just swearing about us on WhatsApp. <laughs> I don't know back, any swear words. It. There is a broidus now. now. There's a broidus. <laughs> <laughs>